the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. And it's going to press record. Can you say a couple things? I absolutely can. I am certainly looking at a hot, cold foot roller while I'm walking through Walmart. Because <laughs> I could probably use some stretching of the uh, underside of my feet. Oh, there you go. Pickleball Pickleball is uh, taking its toll. Is it DT? Well, I physiotherapy for my uh, torn meniscus, yes, from pickleball. So, yeah. Torn meniscus from pickleball. Yeah. This is the this is the person we all hang our football knowledge on, folks here on the Blue Bomber podcast. A torn well, meniscus the- playing playing what is arguably what is arguably the most popular sport on the planet right now, but it's not exactly mm, geared to you know like super athletes, is it? DT like set me straight, no, feel free. It's 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 not. It's 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 t- it's table tennis and paint and uh, t- regular tennis kind of. Put together. Here's the thing, though, and this is a two-pronged thing. One, I cannot let any loose ball get away in any sport ever. And when I was in my 20s, that was fine. So when I was in my teens, it was great. I wasn't the most talented, but, man, I would dive out of bounds for loose balls. Uh, when you're in your 40s, your body does not react the same to diving for loose balls. Well, we've had this conversation, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you were surprised, I think, when I told you I was a wide receiver, a slow white guy, but I caught everything in the 204, and that's because I had the same attitude. Like, there was no ball yeah. that was uncatchable. Oh, and, and sports were just so much fun. You're like, oh, I just want to be a part of this. I want to get going. I want to, I want to try to contribute. Uh, yeah, so when you hit 49 and you're trying to get that ball that's gone deep, you're, in pickleball, you're going to tweak your knee, and your body goes, nope, don't do it. But this is the biggest tragedy, like injury to an old man. You know, that's sad in, in its own way. But uh, because so this happened before the Toronto game and Doug Brown was so excited to tease me. He's like, how many segments can we spend with me teasing you about this? And I thought, well, minimum two. But then Toronto makes the decision to not play Chad Kelly. All the rundown gets blown up, and all we're talking about is Toronto not playing Chad Kelly. Doug did not get the requisite opportunity to mock me for this, so that was a pretty sad day. Well, you know what's unfortunate is that we don't plan a single thing heading into this podcast, and if we'd planned something, this would be the time when I bring Doug Brown on the, on the phone to make fun of you now, but uh, we're, we're not that fortunate. So there was a little bit of a football game on Friday night. You marked it as the most important football game in the Canadian Football League in half a decade. I'm pretty sure that's five years. Did it live up to its billing, and was it one of the best football games in the Canadian Football League in five years? Derek Taylor, go. Every time I run into somebody since then, like, is that the best football game you've ever called? And I kind of don't know how it isn't, right? Like. Um, Montreal last year in week 10, Bombers are 9-0 and going into the bye week. That was, that was an exciting game at the end. Uh, Legio uh, wonks a field goal and then hammers one off the upright, Bombers lose. But it didn't have the excitement that this one did. Um, the 2019 West Final, uh, just Bombers turned the ball over five times in the first half, six times in total, and still escaped with a victory. But Saskatchewan had that incredible Duke Williams touchdown to take the lead going 
fourth, and you went, oh, my gosh, this, this game is nuts. But it just didn't have the same amount of offensive attack and crazy plays that this one did. This one, doing the coaches show, I'd forgotten six of the things that happened in the game because there were 15 other things that were unbelievable. It was just, it was bonkers. What about Jamal Parker? What about Reddick Cranby? What about Kenny Lawler? And just on and on and on. It was nuts, and it absolutely lived up to the building. It was, it was the game of the year in the CFL. First and 10 Lions from their own 40. Four-man rush. Adams gunning high and tipped up. Rhymes has it, 45, and he's running 30. Broke the tackle. Dominic Rhymes down inside the 10. Zero's on the clock. Zero's on the clock. And we're going to overtime as the Bombers... Game-saving tackle. Okay, so there are several names you dropped there. And so let's start with Jamal Parker. If you haven't listened to the latest coaches show, it's part of this podcast feed, so do yourself a favor. And if you don't listen to it before, you, you feel free to press stop now and listen to it before you listen to the rest of this podcast. But even Mike O'Shea spoke in such glowing terms and really captured the essence of what you and I were joking around about uh, when you didn't realize I was recording us talking about pickleball. But the whole idea yeah. is that there are plays that you and I both have in our memory banks from when we played, whether it was soccer, football, hockey, table, you name it. There is a point in time in our sports careers that we can go back to and go, do you remember that play? And everyone who is there will go, oh, hell yeah, I remember that play. And that's what we saw in the final play of regulation time Friday night. It was, I likened it, and I know you were calling the game on the other side that night. I likened it to the play that Shane Goche made in Saskatchewan yep. 2019 West Final when he came from out of absolutely nowhere to pull down who is returning the ball for Saskatchewan? You'll know. I don't know. I don't Nick really. Marshall. I really don't care. The point is, Shane Goche, that play will go down in history as the play that likely saved or started, depending on how you look at it, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers dynasty. Because if Nick Marshall scores that touchdown, it's likely the Rough Riders go on to win that game. Oh, so I I had to look because uh, when O'Shea said, you know, one of those plays, it, it reminded me of how he speaks about the Gauthier play. So that was 20 to 13, uh, Bombers punting with about four minutes to go. So if Marshall does return that to the house because Gauthier is somehow unable to make that tackle, it's 2020 with four minutes to go, and the Riders have all the feels in their favor. So, yeah, that's, that's an enormous one that you and I, like you said, 30 years from now, Remember that one? That was unbelievable. You, you, weren't you on the other side of that one? It'll be a conversation because it was so crazy. Medlock sends a high spiral kick down to Nick Marshall at the 15-yard line. Hey, there's nobody over here. And Nick Marshall is caught by Goche at the Bombers 37-yard line. They faked out the yeah. entire punt cover team of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Touchdown saving tackle by Shane Gauthier. Jamal Parker, it, it absolutely, I mean, this one essentially clinches first place for them. That one, it, it was in a playoff game, but it wouldn't have won or lost a playoff game. So I, I think they're pretty equitable. And, you know, Parker, whatever his bomber future is from here on in, he's got the, man, he saved us from Dominic Rhymes hitting that 
what would that have been? 62 yard touchdown that would, that cost us first place and made us play the riders and then whatever happened in that. Yeah, that, um, that would have now, if it had gone the other way, that would have been, you know, not the same as the 13th man in 09 in the great cup in, in Calgary by any stretch, but it would have been one of those plays where, oh boy, that was the one that got away and we never would have known maybe how uh, history would have played out, but we'll put that one in the, we'll put that one in the glove box for, uh, for an emergency down the road sometime. Uh, you mentioned, um, let me see, uh, Cramdy. Can we talk about Parker for one more sec? Yeah, talk about Parker for another hour if you want. O'Shea, O'Shea brought up an interesting point in the coaches show about over the course. So there's eight seconds left. The the the, the pardon me. The Lions get that huge return and set themselves up. O'Shea talked to the coaches show about how many times the the goal for the defense and the ideal play changes in the course of that play. Right? Like, okay, uh, they're going to try to run two plays on us three seconds, four seconds, and get in the field goal range for Sean White, who's killing it. Okay, let's be ready for that. Oh, they hit us, and, and he's running? Oh, boy. Okay, well, Retta Cramby, I think in the time I thought Cramby missed the tackle on him. Why is he trying to strip the football? Kind of went through my mind. Why does he try to tackle him? If Retta Cramby tackles uh, Dominic Rimes, they're in field goal range, and bang, Sean White wins the game for okay. them. So Cramby... Okay, I'm going to stop you. him, but I'm like... Yeah, okay. I'm going to stop you right there because you need to find out. Is it, did O'Shea and I listened to that part of the of the show back not once but twice? Is, is the insinuation there that that Cramdy missed that tackle on purpose? I I what I kind of took away from it was that the smart play is to try to strip the football in there and not necessarily make the tackle or at least not make the tackle instantly. I thought O'Shea, I asked him, you know, did, was the play executed the way you would have liked upon reflection, you know, before the tackle? And he, he said no, but he didn't really expand too much on it, whether if maybe some guys, you know, would have been thrown under the bus, whatever it would have right. been, whatever the reality is, O'Shea didn't, didn't kind of fully get into that. Because he did get into the whole idea, and, and you touched on this, the idea of, of the goal of the play um, changed depending on whose hands the ball was in at the time and then what point on the field, right? Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, if Cramney makes that tackle, Bombers probably lose the game because Sean White is having maybe the best kicking season ever. If, uh, if Rhymes goes down immediately, they're in field goal range. They might have a chance for one more play. Once he escapes Cramney, and if, if – I want to talk to Retta Cramney on the other side of the bye week. If he was just trying to strip the ball and hold him up, then that's a fantastic play. But – you know, if you're first to him, you're the bombers. You can't tackle him. You have to keep those clock running till it gets to four, three, two, one, zero. Then you can make the tackle, right? You have to keep letting him advance forward to keep the clock going because it's a disaster. Then once he busts free, now it's okay. Uh, I got to stop him from getting to the end zone, and I'm pretty sure the clock will be done. And I will pray that the clock is done when I get him to the ground. But we got to get him to the ground because if not. He's made that he's made that Milt Stiegel type play against the Elks all those years ago, right? Of just boom, clocks expired and he races for the winning touchdown. So, so if we can have that sort of sensible thought about it on, on this side of the ball, what do you think the conversation is in Vancouver the last couple of days? Has 
has Coach Campbell let Dominic Rhymes off the hook on on not going down? Like, can you blame a guy that sees nothing but green and can't feel anybody breathing down his neck for going for pay dirt in that situation? I kind of, I kind of can't. Right? And there's a suggestion that's floating around online that well, he could have punted it through the end zone. I get that. That's of the course rule. you could have. Come on. No way. No Dominic Grimes is, is running full speed, and yeah. defenders are trying to get him, right? No. If, he, if he tries to punt it through the end zone and it gets blocked or turned over, this could be a disaster. So mm-hmm. I get that that's a rule, but in reality, in this exact situation, I don't think it's I, – I don't even consider it a possibility in that spot. Um, should Rhymes have known to get down? I think that's absolutely valid. Like, uh, we've seen Brady Oliveira at the end of a half in this season go, Okay, he got down a little early, but you're like, as long as I get down with time going, we have a chance to get some points. Rhyme should probably have eight in his head and go seven, six, five, four. I got to get down because we win if I get down. But, you know, him trying to house that one, I don't have a ton of blame for a guy doing that because that's, that's in his nature. I'm a playmaker. I'm the man. Dominic Rhymes might, Dominic Rhymes over the last couple of seasons could well feel he's the best receiver in the CFL. True or not, he could very well feel that. So why not score? Why not make one of the one of the greatest plays in BC Lions' recent history? Yeah, and that's and and that's fair. You know, it's easy to say with uh, three days to think about it. Oh, he should have done this, should have done that. It's easy to say with thirty seconds to think about it. A player should have done this or done that, but in the moment, boy, oh boy, uh, that is that is a challenge, and that's one I'm never going to uh, jump on a player for trying to make what feels like the best play. Was Evan Holm going for an interception there? Oh, that's a real good question. I I'm trying to remember that part of it. I. I don't know. I'll have to look back a third time to, to see what I think. What did you make of that? That was my immediate thought. And, you know, I've been so overwhelmed with all the other aspects of that game that th- that part of it actually hasn't entered into my film study to this point in time. I just wondered if it was something that had come across your mind, Derek. Well, again, if, I mean, if he just makes the tackle, they're, pro- they're at, what, a 52-yard field goal? 53? That's Pretty that's automatic. White's range in BC. Yeah, that's pretty it's, automatic. Yeah, it's. But then they might still they still have time for another play, right? To throw another another out route to make it a forty five yard field goal or something like that, which might be risky. But yeah, if if he was going for the ball, I don't know that I mind it because of the situation. If if he's going for the ball and he knows he's got help behind him to make it an eventual tackle, I kind of don't mind it because they're. After that massive return, the Bombers are immediately in a pretty precarious position with the game only tied. How many times have we said, DT, on this podcast, you've said it on the broadcast, we said it off the air to one another. Last year, we sort of knew going into the Grey Cup what this team's weakness was, and it reared its ugly head, of course, on the last play of the game. And it almost cost what this team's blatant weakness is this season Kick cover teams in particular almost really cost them uh, what was an incredible comeback. If you, if you could have seen Doug's face in that moment as Terry Williams returns it, I believe it was 33 yards, he's just like, can, can somebody get a tackle? Can just anybody get a tackle? He was just so downtrodden that 
they'd had this incredible comeback and there was at that moment a decent chance it was going to be undone by the fact that they they have a terrible time covering kicks and punts this season it was reminding me it would have reminded me heartbreakingly i want to say it was back in the 90s that that texas high school championship game because I think they were Plano still playing. East and John Tyler. <laughs> yeah, right? And I can't remember which team. You probably know which team came back. I think they were down three touchdowns, three consecutive uh, short kickoffs, three consecutive uh, eight-point touchdowns, only to lose the game on what was really a kickoff that they only had to kick in order to end the game. <laughs> exactly. It returns for a touch of the Oh, my God. These poor kids. <laughs> Like, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at the situation because it was heartbreaking, but it is one of the all-time, you know, incredible and memorable sports calls. Uh, only in Texas can high school football be one of the most memorable things for sports fans, not just in Texas, but across North America. For anybody who doesn't know, 1994, Plano East, John Tyler. Plano watch, East, watch, of course. Watch it. it. Yes. It's in. It, it's the most improbable comeback undone. It was. It's. It's amazing. I. It may never be. It may never be bested in the history of of, of football at any level. I don't know if Kyle Milroy can uh, get us the permission to to play that clip as part of this podcast or not. But Kyle, if you can do it, drop it in, my friend. Otherwise, you'll have to. You'll just have to Google that. What was the year? Was it ninety four? You said. 1994, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's even a little bit further back than, than I remember it being. Hi, everybody. The most improbable comeback you've ever seen. 31 seconds left. Plano East first and 10. Ball at the 22. They trail by four. They've got to have a touchdown. Whitley going to throw. Throws back. He's going to get in. He's in the end zone. Oh, 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 I don't believe it. Oh, that's all it is. Oh, my. Do you believe it? Everybody on their cars and the radio back to Plano. Y'all done missed the greatest comeback of all time. (laughs) Of all time. It has to be. 24 seconds left. I done wet my britches. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Channel 8, Channel 5, whoever the mother big boys... They've been packed it in, too. They didn't get any of this on camera. We got it. <laughs> Sell it to them for a premium. You dang right. Sell it to them for a premium. Here's the kickoff. 24 seconds left. Terrence Green boots it high and deep. Going to be All right, this second's run. Got a crease. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. my God. Oh, my gosh, no. Come on, no, no. Oh, gosh. I don't believe it. God bless those kids. I am sick. I want to throw up. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. Throughout the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' run of dominance over the past three and a half seasons in the CFL, the adversaries have changed. Someone has stood in the way of the West each time, and each of them have fallen. And it certainly seems like the team the Blue Bombers had to beat to get to Grey Cup 109 last year is going to be the team they'll have to beat 
to head to Hamilton this year. But tonight could go a long way to determining whether or not that'll involve another business trip back to Vancouver or more of this here at home. November 13th, 2022. And the Blue Bombers welcoming Nathan Rourke and the Lions to Winnipeg. Blitz, they'll rush six. Kalaros standing in there, dumps it off the show at the 10. Runs around him. Schoen's going to score! Into the end zone. Dalton Schoen, touchdown! Brady Oliveira stepped up and gave the O-line a hand with a great chip block, allowing Zach Kalaros just enough time to throw it over the middle to Schoen and the rookie sensation did the rest. The Bombers thought they were right on the doorstep again soon after. Whoa, and now it's blocked. Bombers special teams, that's the job. They'll hop all over it. After review, we have major foul roughing the kicker. Winnipeg number 47. 15-yard penalty, automatic first down. Lots of booing from the crowd as Winnipeg successfully blocked the punt, but Tanner Cadwallader hitting the plant leg of BC punter Stefan Flintoff. Punt blocks in the previous years where we didn't even touch the punter, so yeah, um, we can absolutely coach it and we can be better at it for sure. The Bombers wouldn't allow BC to do much with that gift, but they soon gave up another. Keon Adams made the tackle. Grant let it bounce. It hit him in the foot, and Matthew Betts makes the recovery. A cold day and an uncharacteristic mistake from Janarian Grant. Antonio Pimpkid would punch it in and tie this game at six. The Bombers would use a fumble recovery and field goal to get back in the lead column, and then the Lion Killer was ready to make good on his earlier mishap. Good punt from Flint off middle of the field at the 16 is where Grant takes it, 25. Going to the edge, 30, 35, 40, still alive, 50, into Lions territory, he cuts back. Janarian Grant needs to get around the punter. Janarian Grant is gonna score! And the crowd at IG Field is going nuts! Janarian Grant's second of the year against BC. Now 16-7, and without the offense on the field, the Bombers weren't done making statements. Rourke has time, gunning into a tight picked off. Winston Rose took it away, forcing the turnover. But the Lions would not go away. First a rouge, then a field goal. And then following a Dakota Prukop touchdown, a 110-yard return by Terry Williams off a missed Mark Leggio convert to get a big two points. And more importantly, send a statement that BC wasn't done yet. It left the coach frustrated. I just think there was a lot of plays where it looked like we coached no football IQ whatsoever, and um, we got to be better. So the Bombers hoping the defense and the run game could hold off the Lions with a quarter and more to go. Just one first down for BC in the second half when they got the ball on their own 13 with nine minutes left. A promising drive, but it ended in the hands of the other guys. Rourke steps up. He's going for Rhymes. Jump ball. Lawrence has it intercepted. But the Bombers would soon turn it over on downs. And on third and three, the Canadian Phenom delivered. Straight drop, four-man rush. Looking inside the end zone, it's Hollins, and he walks into the end zone for the touchdown. Alexander Hollins gets the touchdown, and it's 28-19. The Lions would still need another. And the Bombers would give them that opportunity. Rourke with the football, starting a drive from the 14 with 90 seconds to go. A season-saving scramble on third and two, and again, with no time left on the clock, closing time. And that will end the game with the tackle by Dietrich Nichols. BC made it exciting, but the back-to-back -back Grey Cup champions will get a shot at a third straight. The drive for three straight, alive and well. 
And not only was IG Field the loudest I've ever heard it on that day, but it was the loudest sporting event I had ever been to. Obviously, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Our, our fans really brought it tonight. The execution, far from perfect. But when it mattered most, the Bombers knew they could rely on the pillars of this dynasty, a bulldozing running back and a ball-hawking, hungry defense. I, right now, I can just picture the one run where he gets stuffed pretty early. The guy's lifting up his leg. It's in the fourth. And he maintains, bounces off one foot, puts his arm down, and gets another three. You know, puts us in a more manageable situation. He was, he was excellent. I thought our defense was just unbelievable all night long. Oliveira with 167 total yards. And Nick Dembski getting in on the rushing attack as well and making some key catches too. Something about these Oak Park boys and the cold weather. You look at the weather conditions today, I think this is, you know, this is what we do. Um, we heat up at the right time, and, and this weather is when we get really get going. And... It was an entire unit out there just uh, working together and uh, made it possible to, you know, establish a run game pretty early on and uh, just keep on, keep on pounding the rock. And the Bombers knew they were going to need that again, heading to Saskatchewan in late November with a third straight Grey Cup on the line. I'm just grateful, man. I'm just grateful to be uh, playing the sport, grateful to be a part of this organization and, and grateful to, uh, to have the teammates that, that I do have. It's an unbelievable group. Most of that group? still here today. And while it won't be a third in a row if they get it done this year, the fire that burns for a third championship is still there, and it's white hot. But again, an MOP candidate in orange on the other side, hoping that doesn't happen. Tonight is likely not the final chapter in the book. These two teams are co-authoring, not even close. But this matchup at BC Place has all the makings of a game to remember. It's one we've already been waiting for for months, and the West Division hangs in the balance. Back to this game and the win that almost never was. And that's the thing about classic games like this, DT, because the Bombers may have been more likely to lose this game after all than they were likely to win it at halftime or maybe even at one quarter time, let alone three quarter time or with, with four minutes left. Well, Vernon Adams had 252 yards passing seemed lightning fast, but, but then the sack started coming, right? What, what I kind of remember in my mind's eye is Richie Hall started bringing pressure from spots where you wouldn't normally expect it. Okay. Here comes Brandon Alexander. Okay. Well, that's pretty standard. Well, here comes Evan Holm on a blitz. Here's Jamal Parker on a blitz. And he's just bringing pressure and bringing rushers from spots that, that, he, that I wouldn't normally expect it to come from. I thought, oh, okay, well, there's one sack. There's two sacks. There's three sacks. Four sacks late in that second quarter. I thought, okay, well, that's pretty good. And, and just how dominant or how much had the game turned? The, the, the uh, Lions had 50-something yards of offense in the second half. Prior to that Rhymes play. Second. Yeah, they had more exactly. yards. They had more yards on that play than they'd had the entire second half. I've, 58 is the number that jumps out for me, but 50-something uh, works more than fine. Yeah, it, absolutely dominant performance from that defense in the second half. And, you know, anybody who kind of came out of that game going, oh, well, Vernon Adams is the MOP of the West, I just think, did you not see the final 30 minutes of that game when they, he had nothing, absolutely nothing? Um, BC Lions fans may well feel they were robbed on that second down scramble before the Bombers stop on third and short, and I would totally understand that. Um, I can't tell you if I think the spot was great or not because it's, it was the far sideline from us. But, yeah, but you can't um, deny the play that Biggie made 
Like, I mean, talk about a sprint across the field in order to get to VA. I mean, that was as solid a football play as we've seen from Adam Big Hill in two or three seasons. And and not to, to downplay anything else he's done, it was just that damn good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got to absolutely hustle. And that's one of the things that we've kind of seen throughout the season. You go, uh, it's not the same speed it used to be. Well, it was just enough for the officials in this one because, yeah, they held Vernon short, the quarterback sneak. They don't really, uh, the CFL doesn't track quarterback sneak performance, so I I like to do it uh, just because. Um, And there's this perception that Dominic Rimes is a great sneak quarterback. He he was the worst in the league last year, and he got stoned on this one. You go, that's uh, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, And just in advance of that, um, we were talking about it during the broadcast. I was really stressing it during the broadcast. The Bombers need to score this touchdown, what ended to Waltarski. They need to score it fast because if you get down to 150 or so, you've now got an onside kick. And onside kicks are a total, what is it, 12% chance you're getting a, a known onside kickback. That's a disaster right. to be in that scenario. That they could play it out on defense was a huge boost. So props to. Buck Pierce, Zach Kolaris, uh, Drew Waltarski, whoever deserves credit for getting in the end zone on that play because much more than that, and they're in a real danger zone. So that was a that was a big-time one for them in advance of that defensive stand. So we had so many calling cards, Blue Bomber calling cards. We had the poor kick coverage that almost cost them the game uh, on the last play of the game. We had that, that third and short stop, which has been an absolute calling card of this defense since 2019. Uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you may be familiar uh, with that. And yeah, Dom Davis, I think the Bombers stopped Davis in that uh, in that big win here in Winnipeg, and that was one of the might have been an early turning point. Uh, that's really been one of the things that the like. I think there are teams in the CFL that normally would go on a third and two, maybe third and one and a half against six or seven other teams, but they don't go against Winnipeg. No, Winnipeg seems to be pretty uh, pretty stout in that respect, and I mean. That's another part. All these things that are needed, right? Like coming back from 10 down late is, is improbable at best, right? So because you need things like, oh, we have to get a stop on third and one, and third and one's converted uh, such a massive percentage of the time. Man, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a real plus. The game wasn't over if Davis does convert that, but it, the task it's is taller. Yeah, because they can kill another whatever 46, 40. And they punt the ball at the very least, right? And maybe they get close enough. Yeah. Like, there's just so many elements that go into that the time, the distance, and then, of course, the flip of field position with the punt. Like, it was just, you had a sense, at least I did, that it was going to take a blue bomber turnover in order to, in order to sort of flip that script so immediately because. Let's face it, we've just been talking about the fact that, that, that how you know, easily the Bombers could have lost this game, and, and a big part of that were, were three turnovers. Um, two plays that Zach Kolaris on fumbles, like you go, what just happened there? How did BC get the ball? And then that deep ball where, you know, I don't know if Kolaris admitted to, to not accounting for the safety on that play or not, but... I mean, it was like a punt at the end of the day. However, three turnovers, again, from the Blue Bomber offense uh, could have taken them right out of this thing. 
Yeah, and two of them, like those two fumbles were both legit in the red zone, right? Those are, you think of that, you're going, they're getting at least, they're getting six, 10, or 14 points on those two fumble drives. And so then BC, and then BC, and then BC gets the, the field goal on the last play of the first half. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like so, the, there were so a lot of a lot of points where the Bombers didn't capitalize, and then BC does. There's a lot of flipping of the scoreboard there. DT, I sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. you know me, my my brain's a sieve, and if I don't say what's on my mind, I might lose it. <laughs> no, no, that's all good. And and some of the reaction online after after was, well, this means Brady Oliveira is the MOP of the league, and I I came away from that going, okay, Zach had three turnovers, including two of the red zone. But don't forget who is the quarterback leading that comeback, right? Like, if, if he doesn't make those fumbles, they win the game by two scores and we feel great about everything. But, like, Zach was not a bystander in that game, right? Like, he's leading that final drive. He leads the overtime drive. He leads the field goal drive that ties the game. Like, to me, three turnovers, I'm not – in no way will I justify three turnovers and say that's, that's great. But it's not, it wasn't three turnovers and a loss. It was three turnovers in an overtime win. You go, okay, well, he deserves credit for, for winning that game in overtime. Maybe, maybe he started the fire, by, uh, but he certainly put it out and then some uh, along the way. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be real interesting because those were the three candidates for MOP. And, you know, Brady probably looked the shiniest coming out of that game but it's still a running back versus two quarterbacks. So what do we do with that when that comes down to it? But, I mean, Zach, to be able to, to put away the fact that you've had two awful fumbles in the red zone, in the red zone, and to, to be able to go back and go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Let's go win the game is, is a mindset that I, I, never, I never could have fathomed as, a professional, as an athlete, not even a professional athlete, just a – in my Division Ten basketball, I'm like, oh man, I missed, I missed like four threes. I'm not taking any more. That's you're, I'm pa- at. So you're passing at every opportunity who- at that point. Oh yeah, abs- oh yeah, top potato time for me at that point. But uh, yeah, to see to see Kalaris able to uh, just to, just to have his mind right is just a. I mean, it's probably not un- super uncommon at his level in you know in the CFL, but it's 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 incredible to watch it happen. Just kind of knowing the kind of person that most of us are. Well, and listen, superstars want the rock in any and every circumstance, right? Uh, I want to be taking the penalty shot. I want to be taking the free throw. I want to be taking that last shot. And when it comes down to to when the, you know, when the rubber meets the road, I want to be the wheel. I want to be the tire. I I just give me the ball. I'll figure out a, a way for us to win. And I think that just another exemplification of the things that when things go a little bit sideways for Zach Caleros, I go back to his very first game as a blue bomber and that throw to Darvin Adams. He had no business a escaping the Calgary defensive line (laughs) B making that throw, like thinking he could make that throw and then to have the audacity to throw it on the run to his right. I mean, the only way it could have been more difficult is if he'd been running to his left. But you know where I'm going with this, Derek. The idea is that these guys, the playmakers, the money makers, they want the ball and they believe they can make every single play. And that does get Zach into trouble sometimes, but more often than not, it works out for him. Yeah, what is he now? 32, t- 32 touchdowns passing for the season. Like it gets them into a lot of uh, a lot of great spots as well. His 
his desire to just make every every single play. And it, I mean, it's getting it's getting held against him this year because I believe and uh, PFF underscore Bryson kind of confirmed it. Like he he doesn't have as many turnover what they call turnover worthy plays, balls that should be intercepted by the defense as he did last year. It's just that more of them are being taken away. It's just bad luck on Zach's part. He's having, you know, a, a, in my mind, a better season than last year. But, you know, luck is, is working against him when it worked for him last season. So, that, I mean, he's still, there's no quarterback in the league you want going into the playoffs more than Kalaris. You can say Chad Kelly's having a great year. You can, but Zach Kalaris has won great cups, and he's been to multiple great cups over a long span of time back to Hamilton, right? So as much as three turnovers felt bad and it almost cost the Bombers the game, they pulled at the victory uh, to me in large part because of Zach Kalars. There were a bunch of tremendous performances. Kenny Lawler, a big receiving game, plus a vital pass interference called. Walitarski with the touchdown and an illegal contact drawn that, uh, that kept, was that in overtime, but kept it alive. Dalton shown before he got hurt. Brady Oliveira more than 150 from scrimmage. Like there, there were Willie Jefferson got his first sack in nine games. Right, Jackson Jeffcoat was a force. There were a ton of dynamite performances in in a game in which I kind of left thinking, man, with how tilted that field was in the Bombers' favor in the second half, I, I left that game going, yeah, you know what? I, I think they're they're by a good margin better than the BC Lions. I don't know what happens on the, in the West final, but I left that game going. Yeah, they can they can run the BC Lions if they want to. I think the key and all the names you just rattled off there, when you win championships, your best players are your best players. And there's these cliches we throw around, and I always love Paul Maurice. When it comes to sports cliches, you would say, guys, they're cliches for a reason because they're true. And, you know, not all of them, but most of them. And the best players having to be your best players is is one acumen I always stand behind. Yes, can you win games when your best players aren't your best players? Yeah, but are you more likely to win if all your best players show up and give you grade A performances? Absolutely. And that's where I just have to just tip my hat again to this Blue Bomber defense. I know it would be easy to overlook the way they played based on a couple of explosion plays, but... You know, you mentioned it. Like, after halfway through that second quarter, the Blue Bomber defense was epic. Like, they shut down that potent BC offense. And I just don't know if you can say enough about the work of not only the defensive players and Richie Hall, but just, again, the Blue Bomber management, Danny McManus in particular, right? Ted Gavia, they go out and they find these guys like an Evan Holm. Uh, like uh, Jamal Parker, who come in uh, in injury situations or come and unseat a, a veteran and just go out and are integral parts of a defense, either for parts of a single game or over the co- course of an entire season. It just it just continues to blow me away, DT. Yeah, they, they tried to get after Parker, right? And uh, we talked about in the week leading up to the game, we talked about how, how diverse a crew of receivers that is for the BC Lions. From 5'10", 177, Lucky Whitehead, to 6'5", 230-pound Javon Katoy. Like they went after Parker, who's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 
Uh, they went after him with six five uh, Dominic Rhymes. Oh, six four Dominic Rhymes. Yeah, and Parker's you know, you know five, five six five seven in his in his shoes. I think. Yeah, and and Parker was absolutely up to the test. Oh, you want to jump all this? Yeah, too bad. Uh, the final play, you want to jump all this? Well, my my five eleven buddy Evan Holmes is going to come over and help me out. I'm going to you're going to try to post me up, but I'm going to fight you for position. And Evan Holmes is going to be here to help break it up. And you go, yeah, this is it's. It's still one, it's still to me a back six that can be got. But I mean, at, at this point, we're 16 games into the season. They've allowed the, if I'm not mistaken, it was leading, it was certainly leading into the game. I think it is coming out of the game. The still, they've allowed the fewest opponent offensive points this season. That's uh, under 300, <laughs> under 20 points a yeah. game, man. Yeah, it's, it's not perfect. It's not 2021 when they absolutely just, suffocated teams uh but it's it's i I mean it is the best in the league it may not be it may not be perfect it may give us some nerves as we approach the playoffs in the west final and then a great cup presumably against toronto if they get there but it's uh it's pretty good and uh when it decides it's time like just think of the times that they just went it was the tap was wide open and they just shut it off like cameron dukes leads a couple touchdown drives last shut it off after that Calgary, the opening play of the, the meeting in Winnipeg. Here's a 36-yard run, 33-yard run, whatever it was, from Diedrich Mills. And they just went, yeah, we're done with that. You yeah, Edmonton did the same thing. Yards. Kevin Brown, same yeah. thing. Right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was like, oh, and there's no way Kevin Brown's getting anything. At 22 nothing. they just shut off that Edmonton team, right? They went, yeah, we're done with this. We're, we're tired of you doing this to us. Um, Saskatchewan, when they came uh, to Winnipeg, yeah, you're just done. I know you had a good time last week, but you're done. And you get six points. So thanks for coming. Um, they absolutely have the ability to do that. And just everything, like for me, everything now is fingers crossed you can stay healthy. You lost to Mario Houston. It might be for a bit. Just Willie Jackson, Jackson has been incredibly, Jackson Jeffcoat has been incredibly healthy this year compared to his previous few seasons. So. Stay healthy. Biggie, Kyrie Wilson, Brandon Alexander was on the limp in that BC game, and I was really quite nervous about it because it was a significant limp on his on his repaired knee. Just, just stay healthy. Stay healthy, and you're – I mean, people will be on Toronto, but I, I, like I've said before, I think both teams at 100% playing their best game on a given day, I think Winnipeg wins. So stay okay. healthy. Whatever you do from now, stay healthy. Reddick Ramdi, uh, I always forget to put him in that group as well. Uh, just a you know, Canadian is just playing out of his mind and never ever should have been flagged for pass interference at the back of that end zone on Friday night. That was just a horrible call. And BC Lions fans, you can take that, you can stuck, stuff it in a sock because that was not interference. That was so weak. But you know what? That might have helped the Blue Bombers down the road after all because, you know, the uh, – the officials sort of set the bar rather low in terms of what is contact with the receiver and what is interference. And so sometimes you get some of those too, right? Well, and, and that was the, the, the rare time I don't mind challenging in the first quarter, right? It was second down. It was a play that was, that if, if it stands, they're guaranteed a touchdown from the one. They're virtually guaranteed a touchdown. And if the challenge overturns the play, they're going to have to kick a field goal. I'm like, hmm. I don't. I love keeping your 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 challenge uh, for the fourth quarter because the stakes are so much higher then. 
But this one could legit take four points off the board at a time where BC is absolutely fine. I don't mind this. Wow, you all of a sudden, it's like you jumped into the room with me all of a sudden. <laughs> my uh, my headphones just said goodbye without any particular warning. So well, now you sound directly into my phone. <laughs> no, now you sound spectacular. So we're going to wrap things up in in just two seconds here because um, two players I need to ask you about, and then of course next week we'll we'll set things up for for uh, Saturday against Edmonton Elks, and that's not that game's not a slam dunk in my mind. Edmonton has been playing a lot better. They didn't beat Toronto, but. Trey Ford, I think, has got some things figured out. Uh, and so we'll, we'll break that down next week on the podcast. But Janarian Grant, him coming back into the lineup. I know he didn't break one for a touchdown, but he just, once again, he just jumped in there and gave you exactly what you needed every time he handled the ball, including that touchdown, their first touchdown on offense. And just something comforting. He's like a He's like an old comfy pair of shoes <laughs> right? It's like, oh, long lost friend. It's so nice to see you. And uh, yeah. he just jumped right back in and made an impact uh, all over the field, really. Yeah, his return numbers weren't great, right, compared to his averages. But well, yeah, were, but who, you, who are you comparing there? him to? You're comparing him to well, himself, which isn't fair. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, his first game back. But he's you're you're sure he's catching the ball, right? That's That's a big one from... The Greg McRae time was McRae seemed to have some problems. He seemed like he double caught a lot of things. Oh, oh, now I got it. Uh, McRae or Janarian, uh, you you feel like this is rock solid, and there's the potential that something's going to go good. It didn't go. I mean, there weren't any any big uh, broken ones this week, but uh, fear for Edmonton and Calgary coming down the pike because uh, something's going to come. And then yeah, to get him involved on offense. At, at the time, uh, Doug Brown first said it, and I, I totally agree with him. I didn't love the play on which he got hurt, right? Where little the little pop pass where he's jetting across the formation and turns it up between the tackles. I don't love that for a guy that that's that's that size. So get him on the perimeter. Best of luck to you trying to guard this guy on the perimeter. He's in the flat. Bing bang boom. Let's go. Uh, get it out there, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Because man, um, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's any better than other teams do, but. Uh, these bomber receivers just love taking a guy downfield and planting them into the dirt. Like they love blocking downfield and grants into the end zone. He gets the touchdown. He gets everything back, right? He gets the rhythm of everything after one game has another full week to, to heal up. And then two games before another bye week. And then the playoffs, uh, beautiful time for grant to be, to be back. And yeah, to get him into the end zone, I was just, I hope it was a big boost for him, but it's certainly for us as fans, right? It was a huge boost. Okay, and then the last name I'm going to throw out before we wrap things up today, uh, number three, Theodric Hansen. And you talk about Jackson Jeffcoat being relatively healthy. Well, he's played a lot of football this year. What role do you think Hansen can play in terms of spelling off Jeffcoat and yes, you're going to lose something, but Hanson brings a certain something, something whenever he's on the field as well, in my mind, DT. Talk about number three. Yeah, it's it's elite athleticism and a, and a high motor, right? And, and you love that. And the fact that, you know, so now they're, now they're probably going to go the rest of the way carrying four defensive ends with Jefferson, Jeff Coat, and then behind him, Tiadric Hanson and uh, Anthony Bennett, right? You go, okay, that's great because... 
Willie doesn't need a lot of snaps off, but if you can get him a few, I feel like that that can only that can only help him in the long run when it comes to the fourth quarter. Jeff Good has has been the guy they rotate off uh, throughout the season, so get him some time off because, man, every bit of energy that guy stores up for the next time he's going to goon Jarrell Broxton, the the tackle who was having a rough time. It looked like for the BC Lions, love it. I absolutely love it. So. Uh, whatever that number is, if it's 5, 8, 11, 15, however many snaps, I've never sat down and counted, but however many snaps Tiadric Hansen can can buy a guy like Jeff Coat to be even better the next time, and if maybe there's some for Willie too, uh, I love it. I love it. And then, I mean, Hansen, Hansen is strong and fast, and he's got a motor, and, I mean, that's that's just one of those guys. Um, he's... I, I, I don't want this to be taken as criticism, but he, he say he's like a, a, a 70% Matthew Betts, right? Matthew Betts is elite on that end, leading the league in in, uh, in sacks. And he's a, he's an incredible athlete with this ridiculous motor. You don't see them go together. To me, Hanson is kind of on that spectrum of of having both those qualities. And, God, that guy loves playing football too. So it's it's such a boost to have him back. And then, I mean, because he's not, the, you know, the rush, the starting defensive end, he can be there on specials, fill valuable roles for them on specials. They've just been kind of waiting for him to get back. That's that's a real nice piece to to have among your your global contingent. Probably, probably still the most important global player in the league. Well, I don't know how you judge depth defensive end versus uh, punters and kickers, but. Uh, Probably still the most valuable global player in the league, just just off the top of my head. As I'm at Walmart, so yeah, that's that's a real plus. Well, we began the conversation about and with a reference to Doug Brown and lamenting the fact that he wasn't involved in the discussion. I think we know if you pose that question to 97, what his answer would be. What did you just ask? Defensive end versus kicker of any sort. Yeah, Doug would Doug would have me thrown out of the booth, but uh, just because you know Hanson takes some snaps and I don't know um, John, Joseph Zemus having or Jonathan Zemus having a tremendous season punting the football, being about four yards above average per punt, that's pretty good too. But yeah, it, it, you're right. I make sure that that uh, that Doug doesn't hear this because he would just heat me out of the booth on some unsuspecting folks in the crowd there. I just have to edit uh, a couple of things, pull a clip out of this, send an email, and my day is done. <laughs> Derek Taylor, I love you, brother. Thanks for this. We'll catch up next week. Sounds good, buddy. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers Thank you for spending some time with us.